Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime. Our first story this week comes from Broadway Is My Beat. We'll hear the Francesca Brown murder case from June 2nd, 1951. That's followed with This Is Your FBI and The Friendly Forgers from December 31st, 1948. smile in the world. Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. In the soft night of June, Broadway's heart beats fast. The girls clothed in summer wear the glow of neon in their hair, on their lips. And the glitter of the spectacular winds their throats with the quick jewels of night. Their perfumed walks, which mixes well with Broadway's own exotic odors, the seared electricity, the air, cool, washed, scented by installment plan air conditioning system, the mist of steam rising from manhole covers. And Broadway follows close on the heels of the soft night, because somewhere the night turns a corner and vanishes. And in your hands are its gifts, of emptiness and shock. To me, they were given on the fourth floor landing of a tenement near the river. The emptiness, the silence after terror's shriek. The shock, the girl with her beauty strangled out of her. The blood from her knife wounds finding the cracks in the wooden floor, glinting in the sallow light of the ten-watt bulb. And the man lets you take it all in, touches your arm, and brings you back. Francesca Brown, Danny, waitress at Harper's Grill. Strangled knife mm. with this gold pen knife. Fancy. A corkscrew, bottle opener, nail file, and no prints. Wiped clean. You'll trace it, I'm not going to... Oh, I got the description. Here, you take it. Her husband's inside, Danny, in their room. I think maybe you ought to talk to him. All right. You're a different one, aren't you? Uh-huh. Mind if I turn on the light? Go ahead. Turn it off before because it's all the same. One good thing, though, it saves on the electric bill. You're... That's right. Blind. Stare at blind Jimmy all you want, mister, and you don't get hurt. Not anymore. The girl out there, your wife... I have to tell you about her. I have to tell you about Francesca. Married me in Italy. In Naples. Came to the army hospital with a priest. Said she wanted me, even like this. Francesca led me around sunny Naples, showing it to me. Letting me touch it. And I brought her home. To this. You feel like telling me now we could wait. Why would I need to wait? She worked late tonight, overtime at Harper's Grill. I waited up for her. I can't sleep and she... I waited up for her. I heard her steps with a man. They stopped in front of our door. And she was going to scream. How did you know that? You kidding? I'm blind. That way I knew all there was to know about Francesca. She taught me. She... Well, what did you do then? I went to help her. Me. All I got was the feel of a guy standing with Francesca dead in his hands. Nothing else? Yeah, something else. He threw her at me. Said, she's all yours, blind boy. He laughed when he said it. Was still laughing when he ran away. We'll do what we can, Jimmy. We'll... Sure you will. You'll let me hear Francesca's steps on the stairs again. 
We'll do what we can. Muglin. You talk to him, huh, Danny? You've... Yeah. I'll take care of him, Muglin. Do whatever's got to be done. happened to look down the stairwell, four flights down, and on each landing, the people looking upward at death. Death was on the fourth floor, and that was a blessing for the first, second, and third. And then one landing down, a kid in a paper hat released a paper airplane. For an instant, it held in the air, then darted downward. A little later, when I got to the ground floor, it was crushed and stained with tobacco juice. I walked out into the street. Harper's Grill was within walking distance, a second-rate addition to a second-rate hotel, a place catering to loneliness and a not-too-finicky appetite 24 hours a day. I went in, sat down at the table. A girl in a blue uniform came over, put a water glass in front of me, poured. You want to look at the menu? Thanks, not now. I, I want to talk to you. Police. Hmm? What for? What did I do? There's nothing to be frightened of. Sit down. Why don't you tell me what's the matter? Sit down. My name's Rose. Rose Keeter. I'm Danny Clover. How long have you been working here tonight? Came on at 7 last night. I'm off at 7 this morning. Pretty long hours, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm on account of the convention at the hotel. Oh? Yeah. Cane and Ale Club, something like that. Boys with the canes have been coming in here like flies. That's why I'm working overtime. Did you know a waitress named Francesca Brown? Lucky her. She got off a little over an hour ago. Refused to work overtime. I should have done that. She's dead. What? Dead. Strangled, knifed. Hey, now, wait a minute. I, I got something. Take it easy. You mean it? She's dead? Bert? Bert. What do you mean? Bert Finley. What about him? You said she was strangled, didn't you? You, you, you said... Who's Bert Finley? Guy who hung around her, asked for dates. Got nasty. You know, winks with the blue place. He wasn't kidding. Was he here tonight? Sure he was. He waited for Francesca when she got off. He's a caner, too. A what? Caner. I call him caner. The boys from the cane and ale club. This week they got a penalty if they don't carry a cane. This week they come from all over with canes. Grown men. Where do I find Bird? I don't know. He lives close. That's all I know. Thanks, Rose. Thanks a lot. Wait a minute. She's really dead? Dead? Strangled? the girl trying to wipe off the terror I had spilled on her table and go home and try to sleep against the image of a sightless boy sitting in a darkened room, remembering, counting the touch of the woman who lay in death on his threshold. And wait for the morning so you can go back to headquarters and slot it out in routine. And not making it, not even when the uniformed officer comes up with Bert Finley's address. Not even Bert Finley, who offers to clear off the kitchen table and make you a cup of instant coffee. My wife had known I was going to have a visitor. She'd have left a whole pot of coffee. It's all right, Mr. Finley. I don't want any. Idea. Maybe it's a good thing she's not here, though. I'd have a heck of a time explaining to her what I'm doing with a policeman in our flat. The missus is very choicy about the friends I keep. How about, about girls like Francesca Brown, for instance? Franny, a waitress in a grease pan, a hashlinger. What's the matter? She getting high and mighty? I passed a few typical remarks, like you passed a hash slinger. She's dead. Murdered. Dead? That way. what you come to me for? Doesn't it always happen to girls like her? The looks they give you, the way they bend over the table close. 
way they walk away from you. You ask me, I'll tell you. It doesn't always happen that way. Not to women like Francesca. What makes her so special? You thought she was. You just told me. That doesn't make me want to kill her. That makes it quite the opposite. That makes you... You saw Francesca last night. Waited till she got off. You took her home, Mother. Well, that's a lie. Who told you a dirty lie like that? You take her home, Bert? You listen to me. I'm a good guy. Respected. My wife, my classmates, class of 36. Last year, they even made me prexy of the Cane and Ale Society. You take Francesca home, Bert? I tried to. Sure, I tried. I was showing off to my friend, Cane and Ale Buddy. Tried to impress him how I was like that with Franny. When I didn't make it, he laughed. Helped me into a cab, sent me home. Helped you? I needed it. I'd had more ale than cane. Your laughing friend, who is he? Harry Bruno, staying at the Acme Hotel. You go ask. He'll tell you how I came right home. Ask him. I will. This your pen knife, Bert? Why'd you get it? It's the one that stabbed Francesca. And you think I... You're crazy. I lost it. This morning, the missus asked me for it to open a cannon. I, I looked for it and I, I lost it. Well, that's the night the cane and ailers gave me in gratitude for my term of office. Plexi, I told you, I... Sure, sure, you're respected, you told me. Grab your cane, Bert. At headquarters, we too respect men with canes. <laughs> Can you come back later, fella? Police. Danny Clover. Can't come back, huh? Come on in. In the middle of a shave here, fella. Go right ahead. Oh, it's that important, huh? I think so. Go right ahead, Mr. Bruno. Shave. Mm-hmm. What's on your mind, pal? You know Bert Finley? Are you kidding? Bert? <laughs> My classmate at the university. You're a university man, huh? Three years of it. Broke my shoulder one summer so they wouldn't renew my scholarship. Yeah, waste of time. Anyhow, who needs college? Color worse. You belong to the cane and ale club, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I belong. <laughs> what do you think I'm here for? What do you think I came all the way from Kansas City for? To carry a cane and drink ale? Close, huh? Great shaving cream. Rise. Gotta get me some back in Kansas City. Hey. What? I didn't say anything. I'm waiting for you. Oh, hold it a second. Let me have this face perfume. What about Bertin? He said he had you look at a waitress last night. Oh, well, acquaint me with the laws in New York City, fellow. No looking at waitresses. Huh? Okay, I won't look. Hand me that talcum powder like a good fellow. Waitress named Francesca. Francesca Brown. Neat. She can carry my tray any time. She was stabbed last night with this pocket knife. Did you see her? What is Bert going to that for? What about the knife? Bert's. We gave it to him a couple of days ago. Outgoing Prexy of the class of 36, cane and ale. Stabbed it. He says he didn't. I believe it. Did you see Francesca after she left work last night? Hello, waitress. I didn't say you followed her. Did you make a date with her? <laughs> Not this fella. Oh, I admit it, fella. I reached down for her hand, got my fingers wet in the chicken noodle soup. She knew the defense of that girl. Where did you go after you left Finley? Up to Harlem. You know, sightseeing. Yeah, now. Yeah. Let's go down to headquarters, Mr. Bruno. I want you to meet somebody. Sure, whatever you say, fella. Hand me my shirt, will you?
long are we going to wait in this office, fella? Till I tell you you can go, fella. Look, Mr. Clover, Harry's got no family here. I have. The missus is going to worry. So what's with those canes you boys are carrying? What's with them, Danny? Explain it to Tartaglia, Muggerman. I'll be right back. Okay, Danny. What's with the canes at the Cannon Owl Society, Jim? We're ready for you, Jimmy. You don't have to take my arm, Mr. Clover. I'll be all right. This is the door over here. You're all right now, Jim. Here. Sit down. Thank you. Last night when your wife was killed, Jimmy, the man who did it said to you, she's all yours, blind... He said, she's all yours, blind boy. There are four men in this room besides us, Jimmy. They're each going to say that sentence. I want you to listen, consider, and tell me if you recognize his voice. You. You say it. She's... She's all... She say it. She's all yours, blind boy. Now you. She's all yours, blind boy. You. She's all yours, blind boy. You. She's all yours, blind boy. Well, Jim, the third one. Let me hear him again. You. She's all yours, blind boy. Again, Jimmy? Well, none of them. None of these men killed my wife. You're positive? I'm positive. Keep after it, Mr. Fuller. Written by Morton Fine and David Breachin, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. There's a stir on Broadway when summer starts coming in. The visitors arrive, and Broadway is festooned with latest styles from Peoria, the bumper crop of girlies from Iowa, the kid who got tossed off the boxcar at Scranton and hitchhiked the rest of the way. This is the time. This is the promise. This is the dream. And it's precisely the instant when the citizens of Broadway put in for their vacation to Scranton, Peoria, and Iowa. And it takes the bus tickets and the two whole weeks' holiday to find out your road to an empty corner of a faraway world. With me, it was still routine. Murder is never seasonal. A girl had been knifed and thrown back at her husband. Find out why and who and what circumstances conspired to want her dead. My job. And at police headquarters at night, a man. His name was Sergeant Gino Tartaglia. Many people thought him the friendly type. What do you think of me, Danny? What's the matter, Gino? Go ahead, Danny. Let me have it. Both barrels. I stand arms akimbo and wait for it. Between the eyes, Danny. What happened? What brings this on? This morning, Danny, on my way to work, I stopped into Zimmerman's the baker, as is my wont, to purchase my daily Zimmerman bums. And? Mr. Zimmerman walked over and said, stop pinching the Zimmerman bums, and proceeded to tell me what he thought. Then, he heaved the Zimmerman bum at me. That's why my uniform's frosted all over. Gino. I'm not a bad chap, am I not, Danny? Gino, 
You're kind, trustworthy, loyal, obedient. Would you give me a note to Zimmerman to that effect, Danny? Soon. After we attend to the business at hand. Her business is bad, Danny. There's not much to hand. Only the fact that the members, 500 strong of the Cane and Ale Club, are raising hob among the populace with their antics with Cane and Ale. Such goings on, that's... Over speaking. Get your hat, Danny. What's the trouble, Muggerman? That waitress in Harper's Grill, Rose Keeler. What happened to her? Beaten, knifed, emergency hospital, Danny. Squat cars downstairs. Nobody get out with you. I talked to you before, Rose. Danny Clover, remember? I'm a good patient. I don't ask for nobody when I don't need him. I don't need you. I need you. I'll push the night buses for you. You want us to find the man who hurt you, don't you, Rose? I don't want to talk about it. I know how you feel, but you've got to try. You've got to help us. Mm. You, you don't have to get up. I know I don't. I watch your face. I want to see how a man looks when he gets a good look at what another man did to me. See? See? You had a knife? Wasn't his fingernail. You finished looking. And you're finished. Who was he, Rose? So you can compare notes? Who was he? Um, can't help you. Because in a dark alley, I heard a cane tapping. And a voice asked a question in a whisper. For an answer, I tried to scream. Funny, no screen came out. What were you doing there? It's a shortcut on my way to work. I don't ever hardly take it except when I'm late. You live near Harper's Grill? Yeah. Yeah, maybe too near. Why do you say that? Guys find out I live near when I walk me home. Too cheap for cab fare. Like who? Bert Finley used to. Before Francesca came to work, Kane and Ailers, they all been asking. Bert suggested, they say. You think it was Finley? I don't think, Mister. I just heard. Was it Finley? I don't know. I just heard. I'm in the night, brother, Mister. Now I need somebody. In a few moments, the door opened noiselessly. The sister, in a white nun's habit, leaned over the girl in the bed, put a hand against the girl's forehead. Then the sister turned to me and smiled faintly. She told me Rose was sleeping. That was good. I left. And another scrap of information. Bert Finley had also made a play for Rose Keeler. Bert Finley, ex-Prexy of the Cane and Ale Boys, was quite a boy. Go now to the home of the ex-Prexy and ask him what else he was. Oh, I thought it was my husband. I'm from the police. Bert hasn't been up to any mischief, has he? May I come in? What is it you wish? Where's your husband? Well, he'll be home soon. He'll be home at 12. Just about half past that now. Oh, it certainly is not. Bert is always home by midnight, always. Not tonight, Mrs. Finley. Where is he? Well, he's former Plexi, you know, of the Cane and Ale Club. They're in town, 33 Lodges. Why, is he home? I said 12 o'clock. 
Nobody gets into mischief if they're in bed at midnight. It's important that we find your husband, Mrs. Finley. Do you have any idea where he might be? Well, I know exactly where he is. What do you think of that? I think that's very nice. You think I have a dad about for a husband? Burke University, you know, last year's president of his society. He's with the boys now, is that right, Miss Finley? At a banquet, he's large, for one of the class of 36. Where's the banquet? Well, I... I, I, I don't know. No, Bert never told me. Hey, Danny! Lockerman? Quick, Danny! Get in. What's the trouble? Bert Finley stabbed. Alley back to Harper's Grill. Let's go, Lockerman. Understand? Lots of things to do when you close up. You gotta check the shortages on your waitresses. You, you'd be surprised how they try to cut you sometime. Understand? All the lieutenant wants to know is how come you found him. I was coming to that, mister. You wanna force me? Closing the grill tonight was somewhat a chore. Them Kane and Ailers had a banquet. Good old boys arranged it. My favorite customer. And? The Kane and Ailers kept walking in and out through my kitchen into the alley. I don't serve liquor, understand? Then back through again, messed up everything. Bert Friendly, one of those that came through? Must have. Because how come he bleeding here all over my alley? He didn't come back, so you weren't looking for him. You the type that keeps pressing, aren't you, sir? No, I didn't go looking for boys. I happened to notice him here while I was emptying the dean's garbage. First, I thought it was one of my alley clients falling asleep, waiting for a charity. Then I saw it was it was good old boy, dead in the donate. Take care of it, Margaret. I'm going back into the grill. You come too, huh, Harper? I understand you. You want me along while you go clue hunting. Ain't no time a man's lonesome than when he's out hunting alone. Come on in, mister. I'll be your friend. This is my kitchen. Want to nose around it a while? Make your hot sandwich if you want, meantime. Banquet table. Which one was it? That'll be out in the mess hall where it all is. Mm-hmm. Come on, I'll show you. Ain't had a good chance to clean it all off yet. I do that myself. Don't like overtime on my hands if I can help it. You understand? You got your nose in the wind, boy. What you smell? That cane leaning against the wall, the table near the door. Don't surprise me. I'm one of them cane and ailers forgot his cane. They forgot their manners. They forgot. Hey, that cane's why? That's a blind man's cane. Good old Ned back home had one just like it. You remember a blind man in your grill? Son, I was back in the kitchen going crazy. I didn't look for no blind. How come a blind man forgets his cane? That's like. Pay your respects, Hopper. They're taking old Bert away. Oh, 
I'll kill it. On your feet, Jimmy. Now, stay there. Get him out of here. He's crazy. He's not only blind, it's easy. It's gone to his head. He killed my wife. He killed Francesca. I know, I know. Take it easy, Jimmy. I don't care about the man he killed in the alley, but he killed Francesca. See? What did I tell you? Crazy. Ah! Get him off of me! Let him go! Get him off! Let him be! No! Jimmy, your wife is dead. I'm sorry for that. You're blind. I'm sorry for that, too. But you cost a man his life. That man? Finley? What's that to me? He said, take it easy, Jimmy. That's better. You're a killer, Bruno. Huh? You gone crazy, too? I'm going to get out of here. Yeah, do that. I want you to try. Uh, Go ahead. Try. You won't let me kill him? You kill him. Shoot him. Kill him. We had Bruno at headquarters earlier. We gave him to you, but you wouldn't identify his voice. Why? I wanted him for myself. So you let him go, and he kills again. What do you got on me? The, the word of a blind That's man. That's right. The word of a beaten girl. A girl who heard a cane tapping before she was mugged. I got 500 buddies with cane. But nobody like Bert Finley. A man who knew you stole his knife when he was drunk, while you put him in a cab. I stood out in the alley and listened to him kill Bert Finley. Bert screamed. Francesca did. Bert showed you, Francesca. So you followed her home, Bruno. Tried to talk nice to her, then strangled her, knifed her. Bert showed you Rose. You did the same thing. Listen to me. I he did it. You... I heard his voice again at police headquarters. Found out about the banquet at Harper's and I went there. Spotted his voice again. I followed his voice. Followed him out in the alley. When he finished with Finley, I followed him here. Nobody followed me. You're blind. I heard your cane. Finley didn't have a cane. I left it at Harper's. But you did. You're a cane and ailer. You had a cane. Jimmy followed your cane. Smart. Blind boy, smart. That what made you big with your wife, blind boy? Face of fella, she felt sorry for you. You think she could love a guy like you without eyes? Listen to him. Listen to him. How long was it since he got a good look at your wife? Saw what she was, what she could be to a man. What was she to you? Somebody to lead you around so you wouldn't be hit by a cab? I'm the kind of a guy who could have had her. You can't see, fella. You can't see like us. If they allow witnesses, Mr. Clover. I want to be there when he dies. Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia and Jack Crucian as Mugovan. The program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis.
with musical score composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. In tonight's story, Lamont Johnston was heard as Jimmy Brown, Lou Merrill as Harry Bruno, Kathy Lewis as Rose Keller, Herb Butterfield as Bert Finley, and B. Benaderet as Mrs. Finley. facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Tonight on FBN Presents, you've been listening to some of the best in radio drama with Fibber McGee and Molly and Broadway is my beat. Join us again Monday evening at the same time, 9.05. When FBN presents Dragnet and Escape. Life Assurance Society presents This is Your FBI. This is Your FBI, the official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. Half an hour from now, when this Equitable Society program ends, the following scene will be enacted in hundreds of American homes. Husbands will turn to their wives and say, Dear, did you hear what he said about that fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers that the Equitable Life Assurance Society has published? Sounds like just what we need. I'm going to ask my Equitable Society representative to bring me a copy. It happens every time we offer the fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers. Request pour in to the Equitable Society. Uh, what is this chart? What fact does it help you to find? Listen carefully in about 14 minutes, and you'll learn all about this famous chart created for you by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Tonight's FBI file, The Friendly Forgers. When you hear the word criminal, you are likely to think of a young man thoroughly corrupt and thoroughly tough. A young man who uses a blazing gun to punctuate his every action. In the most recent survey taken by your FBI, 
a survey which covered the field of crime throughout all of the 48 states. It was found that the greatest number of those arrested were 21 years of age. The second greatest group was age 22. Those are shocking figures and tend to sustain the common picture of the criminal as a young man. However, that same survey revealed that the number of arrest records for those in the 50 and overage bracket was more than the total of the 21 and 22-year-olds put together. Almost 10% of all people arrested in the United States this year had reached the age of 50, and their violations covered every statute in the books. This aged group of lawbreakers has rejected the proverb that crime does not pay and has substituted their own slogan. If at first you don't succeed, cheat, cheat again. Tonight's file opens in a building located in a small Midwestern town. It is early afternoon, and in one of the rooms of this building, an elderly lady is seated talking to her husband. Calvin, I've got a lot of marketing to do before dinner. Would you please sign my checks now? Uh, of course, Hattie. Let me have them. All right. Here you are. And here's a pen. Uh, thank you. You signed Mr. Thackeray's name on the blue checks and Mr. Goodwin's name on the yellow ones. All right. <laughs> you know, Calvin, I was just thinking this morning, you signed Mr. Thackeray's name better than he does himself. Thank you. Uh, I wish I could make these checks bigger, Hattie, but... Oh, I'm not complaining. How about the young man who's passing these for you? Mr. Raymond? Yes, has he given you any of the money? Well, not yet. Doesn't sound like that boy is treating us right, Hattie. Well, every time I see him, he says that all his money is in the safe deposit box and he can't get to it. Why not? Well, I always see him at night when the bank is closed. Oh. He did give me a note saying he'd pay me what was coming to us. Mm -hmm. Let me see it. Well, now let's see. Oh, yes, here. Here it is. Now, the note says he'll give us our money tomorrow. Well, let's, uh, let's give him one more chance. Deliver these checks to him tonight, and then go to see him in the morning. All right, Calvin, I will. Your time's up. Well, I'll see you tomorrow, Hattie. I've got to go back to my cell. <laughs> Meanwhile, at a nearby FBI field office, Special Agent Jim Taylor is seated at his desk when Agent Glenn Adams approaches. Did you want to see me, Jim? Hmm? Oh, hello, Glenn. Yes, I walked by your desk before, but you were out. I had to go over to Memorial Hospital. Ah, oh, you look pretty healthy to me. Oh, it wasn't anything personal. Ah, that's good. I had to interview one of the patients over there. Oh? That's a long ride. Well, Glenn, you've got some more traveling to do. Oh? Mm-hmm. The SAC just assigned us to work on a bad check case together. A traveling case? Uh-huh. Here, take a look at this map. Okay. See all those little X's? These? That's right. I just finished putting them there. What are they? Well, each of them indicates a place where one of the bad checks was cashed. Looks mm. like a lot of checks. 37 of them have turned up so far. Well, whoever passed them really fanned out, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, look at this. Now, you can see he left here. You can follow the X's north on Route 26 until they reach Corona. Mm -hmm. And he passed three, four, five, six, seven bad checks. All along Route 11. Mm -hmm. Now he worked around here, then back into town along Route 82. Well, have we got any description on who passed the check? Not a very good one, Glenn. 
I guess that's one of the reasons you were assigned to the case. ASAC wants you to visit each of these places and make up a composite picture of the check passer. I guess I might as well start right now. Picture will be a big help, Glenn, as soon as you get it finished. I'll be back as soon as I can. Good. Oh, I've already sent the checks down to the lab in Washington. We should have a report back by the time you're finished with the drawing. Yeah. Who are you talking to on the phone? Oh, Lady Bingham. She's in the lobby. Mm, what does she want? She's coming up to see me. What? She wants some money. Now, that must be her. Get it, will you? Okay. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Raymond. Hello, Mrs. Bingham. Come in. Well, thank you. Hi, Mrs. Bingham. Oh, hello there. Uh, let me have your parasol. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, would you like a drink, Mrs. Bingham? Oh, I don't drink. I learned my lesson about whiskey at an early age. My father was in the forging profession, too. And when he drank, it affected his nervous system. And he couldn't sign any name but his own. (laughs) Well, he finally vowed to never drink when he was working. He kept that vow, too. You know, my husband Calvin is a lot like him. Iron-willed. Determined. Uh Now, just look at Calvin right now. Any other man in jail would just sit there and do nothing. But not a week goes by that Calvin doesn't learn a new signature. Wow. Why, the first time he ever went to jail, Calvin sold mining stock through the mails. Oh? Yes, sir. He used the prison library as his office, and he made enough money to hire a new lawyer who got him a pardon. Well, he sure deserves a lot of credit, don't he, Ruth? Yeah. Well, you keep working that hard, Mr. Raymond, and you'll be as successful as Calvin is at his age. Well, I'll sure try. Uh, Now, let's see. Mr. Raymond, did you pass any of the checks I delivered to you yesterday? Uh, no. No, I I didn't work last night. Well, then, may, may I have the money that's coming to us from the last batch of checks? Well, I'm sorry. I still haven't been to the safe deposit box. Well, the bank is open this morning. Why don't we go down there now? Uh, Oh, Chuck, today's Monday. The bank's closed today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of a bank closing up on a normal day. Well, you've heard of it now. Mr. Raymond, I hate to say this, but I don't think you're telling me the truth. Oh, Mrs. Bingham, do I look like a man who would cheat an old lady? You gave me a note. And your note said that you would pay me today. Well, I know, but if the bank is closed, what can I do? I need that money to get Calvin out of jail. Oh, I'm sorry. Young man, you're trying to hoodwink me, but you're not going to get away with it. I'll get the money that's due me, even if I have to turn legitimate and call in the police. Hattie, I'm sorry I kept you waiting. Oh, that's all right, Calvin. I had to clean up my cell before they let me come out to see you. Well, I haven't been waiting long. Uh, Did you get to see Mr. Raymond? Yes. Well, did he give you our money? No. He refused to. Oh, Oh, that's terrible. I was wrong about that man, Calvin. He's completely dishonest. He certainly is. He was also very rude to me. He sounds like a terrible person. Time's up. Oh, dear. Today was my third visiting day this week, Calvin. Now they won't let me see you again until Monday. Yes, yes, I know, but don't worry, Hattie. Well? I'll think of some way to get our money from Mr. Raymond. 
Jim, it took a lot of work, but I've got that composite picture. Good. Let me see it, huh? Here. Uh, I know I'm no Rembrandt, Jim, but I think that's a pretty good likeness of whoever passed those checks. I'm sure it is, Glenn, but this is a young man. Well? Well, before you came in, I got a report back from the lab in Washington. What did they say? The handwriting analysis section said that these checks are the work of an old-time forger named Calvin Bingham. Well, maybe Bingham is working with this young man. Oh, he can't be. Why not? According to the records, Bingham started a two-year sentence for forgery last September. Was the lab sure about it being Bingham who wrote the checks? Glenn, they never make a mistake about a thing like that. You're right, they don't. You know, you should have brought me back a picture of an old lady. Why? Well, Bingham used to write the checks, and his wife used to do the passing. These checks were definitely passed by a man, Jim. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, we ought to know a little more when I get my report on Bingham. Mm -hmm. I sent word to the warden of the jail he's in and asked him to question Bingham about these new forgeries. Well, Jim, maybe I should go down to Ident and see if I can find anybody whose picture looks like this drawing I've made. That's a good idea, Glenn. Oh, pardon me. Sure. Special Agent Taylor. Yes. That's right. What? When? I see. Thanks very much for calling. Glenn, a lot more of old man Bingham's checks may show up in the next couple of days. Why do you say that? He just broke out of jail. It's me, Hattie. Calvin! That's right. My goodness, Calvin, what in the world are you doing here? Well, I've come home, that's all. Well, when did you get out? What happened? Well, I suppose you'd say I broke out. Jailbreak? Yep. Well, but how did you manage it? I was given a new cell companion yesterday. A man named Miller. Yes? He was very angry about being in prison. So, early this morning, he decided to break out. When I learned of his plan, I prevailed upon him to let me accompany him. Well, that was very nice of him. We left right after breakfast. After breakfast? Hmm. Why, gracious, it's almost four in the afternoon now. Where have you been? I had something to attend to. Even before you saw me? I wasn't sure this thing could wait, Hattie. I went to see Mr. Raymond. Oh. I wanted to talk to him about his being so rude to you yesterday. Calvin. I also wanted to ask him for the money he owes us. What did he say? He refused, so there was nothing I could do but pick his pocket. Good for you. I got all the money he owes us and more besides. From his pocket? Indirectly. I got $8,000 in cash. $8,000? My, why, that's like old times. Hattie, I think we ought to take a little trip with Mr. Raymond for money. Oh, I'd like that, Calvin. And it'll teach him a good lesson, too. He'll know now that honesty is still the best policy. We will return in just a moment to tonight's case from the files of your FBI. Now, listen. Do you hear that clock? Not many more minutes of 1948 left. But still time enough for fathers and mothers who truly love their children to make an extremely important New Year's resolution. What is that resolution, Mr. Keating? Resolve here and now that beginning in January 1949, you will not leave your children's future happiness and security to chance. Resolve that even if you, the breadwinner, should die unexpectedly, your family will continue to be well-fed, well-housed, and well-clothed. 
I've often worried about that. Wondered what income they'd really need to live the way they should. George, the Equitable Life Assurance Society has published a chart which will give you the answer to that question. It's called the fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers. It was designed by the Equitable Society to help you figure just what income your wife and children would need to maintain a comfortable standard of living if you should be taken from them. This chart makes it simple and easy because you're guided every step of the way by easy-to-understand pictures. In five minutes, you'll know just how much money your family will need to keep going and to keep together during the critical years until your youngest child finishes high school. Mr. Keating, I could use one of those charts. Where can I buy one? Well, you can't buy it, George. It's free. Phone your Equitable Society representative soon and ask him to bring you a fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers. Or send a postcard, care of this ABC station, to the Equitable Life Assurance Society. Your request will be forwarded to the nearest Equitable representative. Yes, 1949 is coming nearer and nearer. Resolve now to start the new year right by sending for the fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers prepared for you by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Now back to the FBI file, The Friendly Forgers. Tonight's case from the files of your FBI illustrates an important point, a point which you, as law-abiding citizens, would do well to ponder. The prison from which Calvin Bingham escaped was a small, poorly guarded one-story building. It was not poorly guarded because of carelessness on the part of the guards, but because there simply were not enough guards to do the required job. That situation exists in too many prisons in this country. In the majority of those cases, prison authorities who are capable and conscientious are not provided with adequate facilities or adequate funds. This is a penny-wise and pound-foolish approach to the problem. Under the best of circumstances, it is a difficult job for any law enforcement agency to apprehend the criminals of the community. Once apprehended, though, it is obviously to your best interests that those criminals serve the sentences which have been meted out to them. For only in that way can you be sure that any real advancement is being made in the constant war against crime. Tonight's file continues at the apartment of Chuck Raymond. All right, all right, I'm coming, I'm coming. Who is it? It's me, Lou. Okay. What happened to your key? I lost it. Well, that's not very bright. How come you're up and dressed? Uh, head company. Who? Calvin Bingham. He busted out of jail and came up here to see me. He wanted some dough. What'd you tell him? I brushed him off, chased him out of here. Told him if he beefed anymore, I'd blow a whistle on him. Good. Uh, Chuck, there's a joint around the corner. Give me your key and I'll go down and get a new one made. Okay. Hey. What? My keys, they're gone. Maybe they're in on the dresser. No, no, no. I remember putting them in my pocket. Hey, wait a minute. Old man Bingham, he clipped me for my keys. So he clipped your keys. What are you getting excited about? One of those keys was for our safe deposit box. Sorry I'm late, Glenn. Well, that's all right, Jim. I've made a little progress while you were out. Oh, what'd you find? 
Well, I took my composite picture over the ident section, and it turned out to be a pretty good likeness of a petty larceny thief named Chuck Raymond. Chuck Raymond. Mm-hmm. Now, I looked up Raymond's arrest record, and I found that he seems to work with his wife. Good work, Glenn. I made a little progress myself. In which direction? Well, the local police captured Miller, the prisoner who escaped with Bingham. Mm-hmm. Were they still together? No, but I'd just been talking to Miller. It took me quite a while to convince him that he'd be better off telling me anything he knew about where Bingham might have gone. What did he say? Well, he finally told me that he knew Bingham was headed for the Lakeview District, but he didn't know the exact address. That's a pretty big district, Jim. Yeah, it's too big for the two of us to cover. I had the local police send out an alarm on them. Good. I've been working for the last hour down at police headquarters trying to find out if Mrs. Bingham ever gave a Lakeview address when she was arrested. So, what do we do now, Jim? Glenn, you say that picture you made was a good likeness of a man named Chuck Raymond, huh? That's right. Do we know where this Raymond lives? Yes, I got his address just before you came in. Swell. Why don't you get a warrant for the arrest of Mr. and Mrs. Raymond and also of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bingham? I've already gotten those, Jim. Good. Have you got search warrants? Yes. Okay, now why don't you go over and see if you can make the arrest on the Raymonds? All right, Jim. I'll stay here and see if I can find out anything on old man Bingham's address. Just think, Calvin. My first plane ride. Nice, isn't it? Yes. Calvin, you never did tell me how you got Mr. Raymond's money. I just took his keys and went to his safe deposit box. When I got there, I copied his signature off the note he gave him. That was very clever. Thank you, Hattie. You've earned a good vacation. Oh, I intend to keep working. What a lovely place like St. Petersburg. Oh, Calvin. St. Petersburg is where all the old folks go. They're a very fertile field. How do you mean? They're always playing shuffleboard. You know the way they play that, Harry? Is that where you take a stick and push a little round piece of wood across a place that's got some numbers painted on it? Mm, That's right. And whatever number the little piece of wood stops on is what you count on your score. Oh, uh uh-huh. The highest number is ten. Hattie, I've got a way to play where I get all tens. Really? How? Paint the ten with heavy lead paint. And then put a strong magnet in the little round piece of wood. Calvin, I'm proud of you. (laughs) Imagine being married to the first shuffleboard hustler in history. Jim, I went to see the Raymonds. What happened, Glenn? They were gone. They took every stitch of clothing they owned along with them. Why? The place was absolutely cleaned out. There wasn't even anything in the waste paper baskets. Any lead on where they went? None at all. There's a self-service elevator in the building, and none of the neighbors saw them leave. Well, that makes our problem a little more difficult. Nothing came in on the Bingham alarm, did it? No, not a thing like Do you suppose they could all be together? Your guess is as good as mine. Oh, pardon me, Glenn. Special Agent Taylor speaking. Yes, Lieutenant. You did? Oh, just a minute, I'll copy it. Okay, Lieutenant, go ahead. Yep, got it. Thanks very much, Lieutenant. We'll get out there right away. Glenn, that was police headquarters. A cab driver just called them to say he saw old man Bingham's picture in the paper. Uh-huh. 
Says he picked Bingham up in front of the First National Bank yesterday afternoon and took him to uh, 831 Oak Street. Well, that ties in with what Miller told you, Jim. Mm-hmm. Oak Street is in the Lakeview District. Yeah, I know that. Come on. Let's get out there. <laughs> Find anything yet, Jim? Just a figure written down on this telephone pad. Here. Yeah. $187.50. Yeah. Well, that could represent almost anything. <laughs> so right. I've questioned all the neighbors, and none of them were friendly enough with the Binghams to be able to give us any information on where they might have gone. Superintendent says they left here early yesterday afternoon. Did he talk to them at all? Yes, but all he knew is that Mrs. Bingham said she was going to take her first airplane ride. She didn't say where they were going. Well, I guess they left here about the same time the Raymonds checked out of their place. Huh? You know, Glenn, I'm not so sure that they're together now. Why not, Jim? Well, the superintendent told me there was a man and a woman here looking for the Binghams right after they left. Did he give you any descriptions on them? Well, luckily, I had a picture of Raymond in my pocket. Is that who it was? That's him. Superintendent made positive identification on him. He told me that Raymond gave him $20 for the privilege of looking around up here. He also said that Raymond picked up something and said, now I know where they went, let's go get them. Well, what did Raymond pick up? Well, whatever it was, he put it in his pocket. Oh, fine. That helps a lot. Glenn. Yeah, what? Wait a minute. This number on the telephone pad. $187.50. Well? Well, that could be helpful to us if, and this is a big if, if my hunch is right. of him. No, oh, this is a delightful means of making a living, Hattie. Indeed it is. Even better than check passing. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Calvin. After all, in check passing, there's traditions. Well, I suppose so. Besides, we all... Calvin. Huh? Look who's coming down the path. Mr. and Mrs. Raymond. Oh, my. All right, you two, just stay where you are. Uh, well, hello there. Uh, how how did you ever know we were here? Found the telegram you got from this hotel confirming your reservations. Oh, that was careless of us, wasn't it, Hattie? Dear me, yes. Chuck, let's get our money and get out of here. You heard what my wife said? Get it up. Well, I'm sorry. I deposited all the money in the bank this morning. Look, that's our routine. He really did, Mrs. Raymond. Listen to me. If you don't turn around and walk back to your hotel with me and get me that money, I'll crown you both. Mr. Raymond, please don't create a scene. You heard me. Now, do I get that money or don't I? I don't think to do. Huh? Look, mister, you stay out of this. This is private business. Oh, no, it's also my business. Good for you, young man. I'm a special agent of the FBI. Oh. I'm taking all four of you down to headquarters. Oh, and, uh, Mr. Bingham, I've got some advice for you. Uh-huh. And what's that, sir? When we get to headquarters, don't try to put up a check for your bail. Mm-hmm. 
criminals in tonight's case were given long sentences for violation of the National Stolen Property Act. The clue which led to the capture of the four criminals in tonight's case from the files of your FBI were the figures which Special Agent Taylor found written on the telephone pad at the apartment which had been occupied by Mr. and Mrs. Bingham. The figure, $187.50. Upon checking at the airport, Special Agent Taylor found that the only place to which that figure was the exact fare was St. Petersburg, Florida. By catching a plane, he was able to arrive at St. Petersburg at approximately the same time as Mr. and Mrs. Raymond, who had taken a train. In a few hours, it will be 1949. And all of us want to convey to you our best wishes for a happy and prosperous new year. We also want to extend our greetings to a man who celebrates his birthday tomorrow, Mr. J. Edgar Hoover, director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Happy birthday, Mr. Hoover, and a happy new year, everybody. In just a moment, we will tell you about next week's case from the files of your FBI. But now, listen. With every second, 1949 is coming nearer and nearer. So don't forget that important New Year's resolution you made a few minutes ago. Your resolve to ask your Equitable Society representative to bring you the fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers. If you have difficulty in finding an Equitable representative, write a postcard care of this station to the Equitable Society. Your card will be forwarded to the nearest Equitable office. In any event, be sure to start the New Year right by getting the fact-finding chart for fathers and mothers prepared for you by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will dramatize another case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. A preview of the streamlined criminal machine of 1949. Its subject, murder. Its title... The Out-of-Date Killer. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Tonight, the music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. The author was Jerry D. Lewis. Your narrator was William Woodson, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The out-of-date killer on This is Your FBI. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. There's more Case Closed at RelicRadio.com. More from Broadway Is My Beat. This is your FBI, all of the other podcasts, and our Shoutcast stream. All can be found at the website. Lots to listen to there that I hope you'll enjoy. Thanks for joining me this week. I'll be back tomorrow with more old-time radio 
and next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Thank you.